go. Are you afraid of the dark? You might think, um, hey, pastor, this isn't the kids' ministry class. We're grown-ups in here. Uh, and because maybe that question uh, gets you thinking back to when you were a kid and the, the certain things that would scare you when you were just uh, a child. And, and maybe you think about those things. I remember when I was a child, when we would go visit grandma and grandpa. And grandma and grandpa, they had a, a pretty big house and where we would normally hang out, especially in the evenings, was on one side of the house. And then where all of our bedrooms are was on the other side of the house. And to get from one to the other, there was this really long, dark hallway that you had to go through, which when I was a very little kid, that, that was a little bit intimidating. And you might think, how old were your grandparents, Pastor? Didn't they have electricity? Um, they did. The only problem with that was what well, my grandma, she was a wonderful and a generous person, but she also grew up during the Great Depression, and there were certain things that she kind of never got over, and she could squeeze the life out of a nickel better than anybody I've ever met in my life. And so she was a stickler about certain things. And one of those things was if a light was turned on or left on one more second than she thought was necessary, you were going to hear about it. And the last thing you want as a little kid is your grandma scolding you for turning on a light and saying something like, what are you, afraid of the dark, right? You just don't want to go there. So you just got to suck it up. So I remember, you know, when it's like, oh, we're all hanging out at night and I got to go get something from my room, you just kind of walk towards the hallway, right? And then you look over your shoulder to make sure nobody's looking and you just book it down that hallway as fast as your little legs will carry you. And as soon as you're kind of out of grandma range, you start flipping on every light you can find. And you get what you need and, and then you... You, you gird up the loins of your mind to go back and you, and you get in your sprinting position at the last light switch and you hit it and you take off back down the hallway trying to stop within reasonable time to kind of walk back into the room nonchalantly like nothing had ever happened. But thankfully, for most of us, we, we grow out of that phase of our lives. When I was turning off all the lights in my house last night before going to bed, I wasn't sprinting through any areas in my house. But we probably actually just get more sophisticated. We might not be scared of dark hallways like we used to be when we were a kid, but we look out at the darkness in our world. We, we, we see the spiritual darkness that surrounds us, and if we're honest, sometimes that can be unsettling to us. Sometimes we are wrestling with the darkness in our own hearts, and that concerns and frustrates us. Are you afraid of the dark? Well, probably not in the ways you used to, but... What about now? And even you think about, you've never, some, we've all heard that question before. You've never really heard somebody ask you, are you afraid of the light? We don't think of it that way. Light isn't something to fear. Light is something that takes away fear. And we think about that imagery and how powerfully it's been used and how easy it is to relate to. And we arrive at one of the most crucial statements that we're going to see Jesus say as we go through the Gospel of John when he calls himself the light of the world. So we want to look at that today. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're just going to look at one verse today, as I think it's such a crucial verse, and we're going to end the service with baptisms this morning. But look along, and I want us to think about this image of light and darkness as we look at this one verse today. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but 
will have the light of life. So there, Jesus, that's a, you probably all heard Jesus said that before, I am the light of the world, but he also follows it up with that commentary, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And if you remember last week, we talked about this passage at the beginning of chapter 8, and it seems like there's unclarity about where that was in, in or whether that was originally a part of the Gospel of John. So I think the best thing to understand is kind of look back at chapter 7, verse 52, and see a link between what we ended John 7 with and where we're picking it up in John 8, 12, which was with the Feast of Tabernacles, which was one of the three biggest uh, Jewish holidays in the Old Testament, even to today. I think they're getting ready. I think maybe it's next Saturday that starts the Feast of Tabernacles this year, and it's a big deal in their society. And remember, it's to remember the wandering through the wilderness. They literally build these little booths, these little tents kind of to dwell in for the week to remember when they lived in tents in the wilderness. And they do some things to go along with that. We talked last time or two times ago about when Jesus said, I am the living water, and how that was fitting with the ceremony where the high priest would go down to the pool of Siloam, dip this golden cup, and they would march it back up in a processional to the temple, and they would pour it out before the Lord. Well, that would go on during the day. At night, there was another ceremony that they would do during the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would light these few huge you know, candlesticks in the courts of the temple that would light up the whole temple compound. And you need to realize they, don't, they didn't have street lights back then. Uh, this would have been a, a spectacular thing, filling the city with light. And it says that it would be dancing, and every book I was reading said the dancing was done by men of piety and good works. I want to see that at the Super Bowl this year, dancing by men of piety and good works. That would be interesting uh, to see. But there's dancing, there's orchestras playing, and I think because, you know, we kind of look back at the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and like, man, I'm glad we have the New Covenant. And we look at the Pharisees as kind of being real strict downers. I think we start to look at anything Old Testament ritual as like, oh, that must have been like really strict and stiff. No, this would have been like a huge party. This would have been a huge holiday. There's singing, there's dancing, there's music, there is light. This was a celebration. And it is likely that it's in the midst of this. This is the context we need to have in our minds when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Who, who knows, maybe he's even literally pointing at one of these, you know, large candelabras there in the courts of the temple saying, I am the light of the world. And we see that imagery and then he, it's clear that he's calling people to follow him. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness. And so we'll put this down very generally, and then we'll talk more and try to dig into this imagery. But point number one this morning, follow the light of Jesus Christ. Follow the light of Jesus Christ. And that's an image we can all relate to, but I want us to dig in more. What does that mean? What did Jesus mean when he said he is the light of the world? That's common imagery in many religions uh, that talk about light versus darkness, and not even uh, religious. I mean, follow the light. That sounds like could be the catchphrase of some Disney movie, right? Uh, that, that's not very specific. 
So what I want to ask is, what was Jesus talking about when he says he's the light of the world? Because I don't think he was referring to other religions. I don't think he was referring to Greek culture. And I know he wasn't referring to Disney. So what does he mean when he says, I am the light of the world? What is he drawing on to make that image? And I think he's drawing on the Old Testament. He's drawing on this feast that they are at, and that imagery, and that's what I want us to dig into to get some more specific ideas about what do we mean when we say Jesus is the light of the world. And the first thing that I want us to think about is why are they doing this light, this light ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, let's remember, how did they get around in the wilderness? How did they know where they were supposed to go? They were led. Led by what? A pillar of cloud during the day, and at night it was a pillar of? fire. They were led by this fire, by this light through the wilderness. And that's what they were commemorating by lighting these lights. Hey, remember when we lived in tents? Remember when we got water from the rock? And remember when there was a pillar of fire that led us around? And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. So I think a few of the words we're going to look at all have this idea of direction, that that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one that ultimately gives direction. And the first word I want you to write down five more specific words to capture this imagery of light. The first word I want you to write down under point number one is truth. Truth. That Jesus is the light because it's in Jesus that we see the truth. It's in Jesus that we see the truth. And we're going to look at a lot of different references in the Old Testament today. You can write them down if you want to or if you're really, if you're really good at sword drills in Sunday school class and you want to flip to all of them, you're welcome to do that. But Psalm 36 we see a verse that touches on this, and it's actually very interesting. Psalm 36, 9. What was the last thing Jesus said if we go back to chapter 7? He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come up to me, and I will give him a fountain of living waters. And now he's saying, I am the light of the world. Well, in Psalm 36, verse 9, David says about the Lord, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And I love that phrase, in your light do we see light. Basically, we're not going to understand anything unless the lights are turned on. And what does that light look like that enables us to see what's going on? That is the light of Jesus Christ. It's through him that we make sense of the world of life and death and all the big questions that we could ask in life. It's only through Jesus that we're going to find real truth and answers to those things. Let me use a really simple illustration, just put it on a human level for us. I've got two older brothers, and my oldest brother, a guy named Bobby, he's been here and preached before. He's a pastor of Compass Bible Church in Huntington Beach, California, where for several years we worked at the same church. And the thing is, if he walked in the door this morning, you might never guess that we were related, because I am tall, dark hair, brown eyes, he is shorter, uh, has a massive beard, uh, Blue eyes, blonde hair. You, you wouldn't really see the resemblance. And it was funny, I mean, at the church, a lot of us just went by pastor and then our first name, so our last names didn't get out there that much. And there would literally be years that would go by and then somebody would be like, you and Pastor Bobby are related? It's like, yeah, we're brothers. And I mean, you watched their minds explode right in front of your face because they just couldn't, how are you guys? But then occasionally my brother Bill would come and visit. And people would see Bill and be like, I get it. The missing link is here. Like, now I see how you guys are 
connected. Again, that's a really simple illustration. But there's a lot of things in life that we try to reconcile, right? I mean, there is a yearning that you can see, even though it's misguided in many ways, we see it all around the world. There is a yearning in the human heart for justice, is there not? We want to see wrong made right. Okay, but then we also have this yearning as human beings for mercy. We also want to see wrongs forgiven. Well, how do those two go together? I mean, really, if all we get is justice, that's a big problem for every one of us because we're going to be judged because we're not perfect. In fact, we're like not even close to it. But on the other hand, if all we get is mercy, then where is the justice? How do those two things go together? Well, let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. And then we start to understand how there can be justice and mercy. That it was through him on the cross that God, his wrath, as we sang, was was satisfied. There was justice because he paid the penalty for our sin, and therefore we can experience the mercy of God. And that's just one sample, but as we really dig into, well, why are we here, and where are we going, and what should our life be about? If we don't know Jesus, we're going to be in the dark on all of those questions. When we see Jesus, the lights get turned on, and we can understand the truth and what is really going on. So in one way, the light of the world, even think of Jesus as, you know, flipping on a light switch, boom, the whole room is lit up. Well, when we understand Jesus, oh, wow, now life can be understood. But there's also ways that the light of the world shines in a more specific sense. Think of, you know, instead of flipping the light switch on in a room, think of pulling out a flashlight to get more specific light in a specific area. And if you're in Psalm 36, just go over to Psalm 43. And here we see a a cry for direction. It says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Asking God, give me direction through your light and your truth. Or probably one of the verses that's most familiar to you that you've heard throughout Psalms comes from Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But sometimes that light is shining more directly. It's lighting right on the steps in front of us on the path. Where should I go next? Where can I step next that is going to be a safe and secure place to stand? And so for the second idea under light and following the light of Jesus Christ, let's write down wisdom, wisdom. Jesus is the light of the world because it's through him that we can see and understand truth. But it's also through Christ that we can gain wisdom, which if truth is flipping on the lights and, oh, we can see in the room, wisdom is, okay, now applying that to very specific situations, shining the flashlight, so to speak, on the dark corner or the next few steps right in front of you. And that's one of the reasons why I encourage you to dig into God's word, the word of Christ. It's one of the reasons why we do it together every Sunday morning, because as it says in Psalm 119, verse 130, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. That's what we're trying to do when we read God's word on our own or when we gather on Sundays. We're trying to unfold God's word and and learn what it says. And as we do that, it's going to give us wisdom on how to live our lives in a specific way. 
The problem is we think about Jesus being the light of the world and us really taking advantage of that often is our own stubbornness. That we, when we need wisdom, we don't want to dig into God's word and therefore look to Christ for how to take those next steps. I think of, hey, you know, I have three young kids and invariably I end up getting recruited to help them look for something. That they're, Daddy, I'm looking for this toy. And, you know, they've done as good of a job as they can do as little kids, so I'm helping. And I'll end up going out to the car and, you know, you flip on the garage light and you, you open and now you're in the car and that light's not very good anyways and it's really dark in there. And in my stubbornness, knowing I have a flashlight in my pocket, I decide I'm going to grope around in the dark for a little bit to try and find it. And when that's not successful, I finally, okay, let's get out the flashlight. And boom, there it is. And how many times are some of you in life, man, what do I do here? What do I do here? When you've got a flashlight, Jesus is the light of the world. He's given you his word. Take it out. Turn it on. How does it apply to your situation? And in fact, we're so stubborn, not only do we often not even take out the flashlight, many times we neglect even just to grab what the flashlight is clearly pointing to. Not only do we not look to Jesus for wisdom, even when we know what Jesus is telling us to do, we have a hard time doing it. We need to trust that he is the light of the world, that his word is wisdom, and that we can follow it down to the nitty-gritty decisions we have to make in life. Jesus is the light of the world. He gives us direction through truth, through wisdom, and that's all leading a certain place. Uh, the third word I want you to write down under uh, following the light of Jesus Christ is holiness. Holiness. The light of Jesus Christ is going to lead us away from sin and into holiness. We've seen this. I mean, Jesus has used this kind of imagery before, and we've seen it already in John. John chapter 3, verse 19. He says what the problem is. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We see this link between darkness and evil. And people, they've loved the evil more than they want to follow the light. And we understand Jesus, he's calling us out of sin, away from evil, and to holiness. And I don't want to even dig in maybe too much on this point because we're going to steal some of the thunder from later in John chapter 8 where he really describes it not as light versus darkness, but slavery versus freedom. And that sin is slavery. And we'll talk more about it, but that corrects this idea. I think so many people, even in churches, have that, well, I'm here, you know, trying to do the good things. I can't really do the fun things that are out there. No, sin is not the fun things that are out there. Sin is darkness. Sin is slavery. And Jesus came to set us free from that. And as we follow the light, we will be walking in to holiness. So those three words, think about truth, wisdom, holiness, I think a big idea there is direction. But kind of the other big idea that I think we should get from the light of the world, and I want you to write this down next, is the idea of hope. Hope. And we see throughout the New Testament, light is connected with hope. And the first place I want us to see that is in Psalm 27. Psalm 27. A classic and very cherished Psalm. I mean, there's 150 Psalms, and I'm sure you know some of them better than others. And Psalm 27 is, you might be familiar with some of these lines. This is David writing, and he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
See, the hope that he gets from the light of the Lord leads him, I, I don't need to be afraid. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And there we see the hope of the light of the Lord gave him confidence instead of fear. And some of that might be hard to relate to, though an army encamp against me. I don't think any of you guys, you know, woke up any day this week and went out the front door and was like, whoa, there's an army out here laying siege to my house. I don't think that happened to any of us this week. But there are situations in life where you do feel surrounded, where you do feel insecure and unsafe. And David's saying, even in those situations, the light of the Lord, I know I'm going to be okay. I mean, if grandma wasn't paying attention and I could turn on all the lights I wanted going to the other side of the house, I, would have been, I wouldn't have been afraid as a kid. And what Jesus is saying and what this psalm is saying is, hey, no matter how dark it gets in the world, we have the light of Jesus Christ. We don't need to be afraid. And I think that's something, even in 2020, there's other lights that we've kind of relied on that, you know, hey, these, these seem to be stable. I'm probably going to be healthy and strong until I'm really old. And it's like, oh, pandemic, am I really going to be that way? Yeah, you know, my portfolio is just going to keep on doing better and better until I retire. Oh, economy, yikes, maybe that's not so stable. And, you know, we live in America, and everything's always just going to be safe and sound and nice and secure in America. And it's like, well, maybe that's not as secure as I thought. And some of those lights seem dimmer, and that's where we need to realize our trust should have never been in any of those things to begin with. Our hope is in the Lord. Jesus is the light of the world. Therefore, we do not need to be afraid. And then verse 4, he's the one that we need to focus on and seek. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We need to seek him and have a confidence that no matter what goes on in the world around us, nothing will be able to extinguish the light of Jesus Christ. And nothing will be able to stop the church, even at the beginning of the Gospel of John, it talks about Jesus being the light and the light shining in the darkness and the darkness is not able to overcome it. And you can know as, as long as we're waiting for Jesus to come back, that's going to be true. The darkness will never extinguish the light of Jesus Christ. The darkness might extinguish the light of the United States of America or the, the light of our economy or the light of your health, but never the light of Jesus Christ expressed through the church. And we can have hope even now in this light that when all other lights go out, Jesus Christ is the, line that will, is the light that will keep shining. But I think when Jesus says he is the light, that should have some implications for us right here and right now, but it should also get us thinking about the future. So the last word there under light, I want you to write down eternity. Eternity. And here we're going to get into the prophets and see some of the things that they said about the light Isaiah chapter 60, he speaks what I think, of what I think is still yet to be fulfilled, because I haven't seen this happen yet. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 and 20. He says, The sun shall no more light, or sorry, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor your brightness shall nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But 
the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Doesn't that kind of sound familiar? Well, Look at this, Revelation 22, 4 and 5. We'll put this up on the screen for you. It says, They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And even that image of Jesus uh, pointing to those uh, candles in the courtyard or the, the light leading the people through the wilderness, all little tastes of this day when there will need to be no more lights. We won't need the electricity because the Lord God will be among us. His glory will light up the world literally. And Jesus, I think, is even looking forward to that day as he draws on these Old Testament passages. There's two more I want us to look at that come from the end of the Old Testament. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14. So this is the second to last book there in the Old Testament. So if you hit Matthew or Mark, you've gone too far. Zechariah 14, verses 7, eight, seven and 8. And again, you're going to see Jesus has talked about living water and light. And we're going to see both of those things right here. Zechariah 14, verse 7. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. He's not talking about summer in Idaho here. When he says at evening time there will be light. And he's talking about this unique day that he doesn't even know how to describe where the light's just going to continue. And then he says on that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem. Half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And here we see there's going to be I think I believe literal living water and literal light. Because of what God is going to do. And one last verse, if you just go over to the next book, Malachi, and the last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. What an image, yes, of a dark world, but of a sunrise that's coming. The sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings. And I believe ultimately that is pointing forward to the day when Jesus Christ will return, when he will reign on this earth. He is the light of the world. And we need to think maybe as our temporal lives and the security of life here and now has been shaken even more this year than before, that our hope has never been about here. We're looking forward to that day when there will be no more sun or moon, but the glory of God will be the light. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that's where you're headed if you are a believer? Do you think of this life as something very temporary, very transient, and that will be eternity? Jesus is the light of the world. And it's in him we see truth, 
wisdom, holiness, hope, and eternity. And all of those are brimming with application to our own lives. As we follow the light, walk in the light, that will change the way that we live. And that should be apparent. And we see that really in the second half of the verse in John chapter 8, verse 12. We've been talking about what does he mean when he says, I am the light of the world. Well, what about that statement that follows? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Really, that's saying a lot about Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am the light, and I am so bright that if you really follow me, it won't be possible for you to walk in darkness. Almost as if he pointed to the, the, the candles there in the temple saying, these lights are so bright that if you're in the temple right now, there's no way you can walk in darkness because they're lighting up the whole joint. And if you're not in the light, then you must not be in the temple because it's all lit up by these lights. And it's as if Jesus is saying, hey, if you really know me, if you're in Christ, you're going to walk in the light. And if you're not walking in the light, then you must not really be in Christ. And we start to get to something where I see a big disconnect between what Jesus said and how a lot of American Christians think. Because a lot of people want to think today, and some people even basically want to teach that I can have Christ and be a Christian and walk in the darkness at the same time. That somehow that's possible. Or people think, oh, I'm not doing that now, but that's what I used to do because, you know, I prayed a prayer when I was four and became a Christian, and then I walked in the darkness for the next 20, 25 years and then got serious. And my question is, well, if you were walking in the darkness for that long, how can you say that you were a Christian based on what, what Jesus says? And this isn't just something that we see here. The Apostle John writes the Gospel of John, and he's recording what Jesus says. Look what he writes later in 1 John 1, 6. I think this is very clear. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Saying, if we're saying, hey, I'm good with God, I'm a Christian, but we're walking in darkness, there's a problem. And 1 John calls that problem a lie. And I think ultimately that person's not necessarily lying to somebody else. That person's probably lying first and foremost to themselves, saying, I'm all right, I'm good, when the answer is, no, no, you're not. I remember we're going to have baptisms today. The first baptism we did as a church, there was a young man who got baptized, and he had been wrestling with some of this, and he'd been going, uh, talking with his life group leader. He said, hey, and he was really unsure, am I saved or, or not? What, what's going on? Because he knew I, I'm, I'm walking in darkness, and I'm stuck where I am. And his leader encouraged, well, why don't you read 1 John? And as he said in the baptismal, that, that day he was get baptized, he said, well, I read 1 John and it says what it says, <laughs> right? There, there's no way around statements like this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And if that's something that you are thinking today, that I'm walking in darkness, but I'm sitting here in church, so I must be good with God, no, no, Jesus is saying that's not possible. Point number two this morning, make sure you're being honest with yourself. Make sure you're being honest with yourself. Don't tell yourself, I'm good with God, if you are walking in the darkness. Because Jesus says, if, if you really are a follower of Christ, you won't walk in darkness, you won't be able to, because he is the light of the world. And it's dangerous 
to tell ourselves otherwise. It makes me think of what I think is the most kind of sobering, even frightening passage in the entire Bible, and that's in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And even that idea, workers of lawlessness, I think there's a lot of parallels between that and the idea of somebody walking in darkness. They're walking in darkness. They're a worker of lawlessness. And these people are showing up before the judgment seat of Christ saying, hey, Jesus, heaven, let's go. And he's saying, I don't know you and you don't know me because you're a worker of lawlessness. You've been walking in the darkness. It's clear that you don't know me because if you knew me, you wouldn't be able to do that. Another image that I think helps us understand what, what am I saying with this comes right before that in Matthew 7 where Jesus uses this idea of fruit, fruit. And if you think today, you know, you're, you're at some farm or you're at the botanical gardens and you go up to a, a tree and you see a sign that says apple tree and then you look up and you see a bunch of bananas, what are you going to think? Well, I, you're not going to think, that's a weird looking apple tree. You're going to think, that's not an apple tree. What you're going to think is the sign is clearly wrong. If it was an apple tree, it'd be producing apples. But since it's producing bananas, it must be a banana tree. It's not an apple tree. The sign is the problem here. I think that's when many people want to put the sign in front of their lives. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And then they're walking in darkness. The problem is the sign is wrong. The problem is they're not following Christ, and that's shown by the fruit of our lives. I think the Bible is very clear. You cannot truly be a follower of Christ and walk in darkness. And I think ultimately, even if you disagree with that, you're not disagreeing with me. It's, it's what Jesus is saying straightforward right here. I do want to be clear. I am not talking about perfection, okay? I am not talking about perfection. If I said raise your, I'm not going to do it because there's always that guy, but if I said raise your hand here if you're perfect, no hand should be in the air. None of us are perfect. And that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying that as Christians, we don't ever stumble. We don't ever fall. Or there are some seasons in our life that are more of a struggle. But what I am saying is if we're truly saved, there is a change in direction in our lives. And even to use that analogy of fruit, I mean, there's, there's baby, there's baby apple trees that are just beginning to produce fruit, a little bit of it. And then there's, you know, mature, weathered, strong apple trees that are giving you bushels of apples every year. You know, we, we see that difference. And you see that there's, there's baby Christians that are just kind of, you're just starting to see that difference in their lives. And then there's, you know, really mature Christians that, you know, it's, it's obvious to see that they're walking in the light. And I'm not trying to discount any of that. And I'm not trying to get everybody here to hyperanalyze everything about their life. I'm just saying, if we say, hey, I'm following Jesus, but there's no change of direction in our lives, in our lives, then the problem is our claim. Our claim is not legitimate. And I think even some of you here, you, you know what I'm talking about. As a pastor, I've come across with people, they know I am walking in the darkness. And they're, they're not really questioning that. 
And that's who I'm really trying to talk to right now. The people, if you're here today and you know I'm walking in the darkness. And I'm trying to tell you, if, that, if, that, if you know that to be true about yourself, what you need to know then is not true, is then you're not really following Christ. And what do we do about that? If you're in that position today, and I want to make clear, the answer is not, well, clearly, do better, try harder. No, that's not the gospel. In fact, that's, why, that's the reason why some of you are still in the darkness, because you think you can somehow crawl out of it if you try really hard. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you need a light. You need a savior. You need Jesus. And just even in my experience as pastor, that's maybe the first reason why I see people that are still walking in darkness, because they still think they can do it, when the answer is no, you can't. Another reason, I think, is some people just don't understand the gospel, and they think, well, Jesus is my get-out-of-hell-free card, and once I've prayed the prayer or walked the aisle, I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card, I'm just going to go do whatever I want. Well, that's not the gospel. Jesus didn't come to save you from your sin only in the future. He came to save you from your sin right now. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, and in the future. And then the third thing I see many times is what we read in John 3, that people, they love the darkness rather than the light. And the reason people are still walking in darkness is there's something in the darkness they just can't let go of. Many times it's some form of secret sin that maybe nobody else even knows about, but you're holding on to it and you won't let go. And whatever the problem might be, the solution is we have to let go and for some of you, what you can't let go of is just the idea that you can do it on your own. Whether it's sin or whether it's self-righteousness, we need to let go, we need to repent, and we need to turn to Christ and say, you're the Savior, you're the one that lived the perfect life, you died on the cross for my sins, you rose again, you're the light of the world. And I'm trusting you, and I need you to shine your light on me. If you're here today and you know I'm walking in the darkness, Jesus has made the solution here. You need to let go of whatever it is you're holding on to there and turn to him. Trust in him and follow him. And for those of us that are believers, one final note to end on, even just as we think about hearing people about to share their testimonies, Jesus, he's not walking around planet earth today. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. We are waiting for him to come back. In Matthew chapter 5, he makes another startling statement. Jesus doesn't say, I am the light of the world. He looks at his followers and he says, you are the light of the world. And may that be just a reminder to us that this light of Jesus Christ, we want other people to see it. And the more we are living out truth, wisdom, holiness, hope, thinking of eternity, the greater reflection we will be of the light of Jesus Christ. And hopefully we will see more people step out of the darkness, and step into the light of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited to hear from a few people who have done that today, and I'm hoping that through the testimony of some of you sitting here in this room, as you live your life in a way that shows that light, and with your words, as you declare the light of Jesus Christ, we see more people turning from their sin, putting their faith in Him, and someday it's them at a baptism service, giving glory to God for what He has done, and agreeing with all of us that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Let's pray together. God, I do want to pray, Lord, this morning, especially as I think this is one of the clearest passages in the Bible that speaks to this reality, that it is not possible to truly be a follower of Christ and to walk in the darkness. God, I pray that nobody here would be self-deceived. God, 
there are anybody here today that knows I am walking in the darkness, I am living in sin that I have not let go of, that today would be the day that you open up their eyes. And today would be the day that they let go. And that they wouldn't deceive themselves just by thinking, well, I, I prayed a prayer once, therefore I must be okay. God, may, may our lives bear fruit of the work that you have done in us. And God, I know that all of us, we could be a greater reflection of your light. God, none of us here are perfect. And so I pray for those of us that have put our faith in this light of the world, that you would continue to transform us from one degree of glory to another. That even as we think through some of these words this week of truth and wisdom and holiness and hope, God, and eternity, that those would have a greater impact on our lives, that we would live those out to a greater extent as we think of the light of the world. And God, we praise you that Jesus is the light, and we praise you for what we're going to hear now, even in the testimonies of these uh, three men that have uh, turned from their sin and put their trust in Christ. And I pray that you would get all the glory now as we rejoice in what you have done. And we pray this all in the name of this light of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen.